Brother Jody and Cindy Hogan. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Good evening. You can have a seat if you'd like. If you'd like to stand, that's cool. <laughs> Hallelujah. How are you? <clears throat> it may take you a few minutes to get used to my accent. That's okay. We're on a... Whoa. Volume changed. We're on a two and a half month trip in the U.S. And y'all are our first stop. Hallelujah. I normally don't spend two and a half months anywhere. And I know the U.S. is a large country, but I tend to stay moving. Even when we're home, I'm not home much. Uh, oftentimes people say, where's home? I say, uh, wherever I'm sleeping tonight. <laughs> so that is a real thing for me. Another way that I answer it is wherever Miss Cindy is. <laughs> That's home. Because I truly believe the verse, I can't even remember where it's at right now, but it says we have to consider ourselves pilgrims here. We're on a pilgrimage that's not specifically a Muslim thing. They do pilgrimages. They go to holy places. They dedicate time and money to go to these places to serve whom they consider to be God. And in that, I respect them. I think they have the wrong idea of who God is. Hopefully we have the right idea. So we shouldn't be bashing on them. But they have a lot of characteristics that they took from God. that are godly ideas that we have lost. The Christians believe that Jesus paid it all and therefore I have to do nothing. And there's teachings, famous people nowadays are saying that Jesus has done it all. So therefore I'm not required to do anything. So why do you even come to church then? It's a good question. Church is where you come to eat. We were talking about it last night. Church is where you come to feed. But this shouldn't be the only time you eat. Try, you're, you're, you're starving this month. Try eating as often as you go to church. Let's see how that goes. And if that's not enough, then you need to get with God as often as you would want a burger. Which for me is often. The psalmist one time said, seven times a day I seek the Lord. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. We need to incorporate the spirit life into our natural life. 
And we need to continue to develop that until the natural becomes secondary to the spiritual. I want to start off. What time do we normally stop? Okay, but what time? You said something about food. That's always important. Okay, perfect. Because I don't want to miss supper because I talk too long. Because I do believe in the spiritual, but, you know, food's important. Of course, most of you are fasting, so keep on. I would like to start by mentioning two of my heroes in the Bible. I don't overlook the famous ones, but I like to look for the ones that most resemble us. More than likely, you're not not like Elijah. You know, he seems to be like, whoa, he's one of the, it's like, yeah, he's, no, I can't, no. So we need to find someone in there that, that I can identify with. Moses, yeah, I haven't murdered anyone yet. You didn't think I was going there with him. But if you have murdered someone and you've repented of it and, you know, hopefully you're not on the run from the law, you've, you've dealt with all that, you're clear and clean now and all's good, maybe just wait 30 or 40 more years and, and God will begin to use you. Time doesn't mean as much to God as it does to us. While I believe we should be consistent and we should be trying to save the world, narrow it down a little bit. Let me just tell you something. You're not going to save the world. You're not going to save America. Sorry. I'm not cursing you. I'm not taking away your dreams. And if I am, you need to narrow it down a little bit because that's not feasible. It's not doable. You're not going to save California. You may not save Orange County. Let's start with your street. I'll get to the two people that I'm going to mention today. Then we'll move on to the sermon. I get sidetracked. Sorry. Jesus said at some point that he's going to separate the people as like the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And it sounds like the end. He's going to gather everyone together. He's going to be like, okay, you guys go left and you guys go right. And he kind of gave us a preview of what that is. You don't want to be on this side. I'm going to tell you that part already. Don't, don't be when he says, hey, take a left. You need to be like heading to your left, which is his right. You mean this left? Because you want to be on the sheep side. But the questions that he asked or the things that he mentioned that the, that the goats didn't do, it didn't, and the sheep did do, it, it wasn't what church were you standing in while you were singing praises to God? What ministry did you affiliate with? What were, how many angels did you see while you were on earth? Now, I'm all for seeing angels. If you've seen one, cool. I haven't seen one that I know of was an angel. I'm sure there's some snuck, snuck by. I'm, I may have seen one yesterday. I was out running on the, on the beach. It was really cool. I'm training for 
a hundred mile race. I don't have a good reason, so don't ask me why. <laughs> I did a 50 in December and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. So I'm like, yeah, let's double that. Basically, I'm 46 and I'm trying to challenge myself to not settle into the slump that most people do. You're getting older. Just quit while you're still only half aged. You're middle aged. What do you call it? Is it middle aged? Middle aged white male, like the worst possible place to be. So if I want to survive this middle age and get to a respectable again, you've got to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. If you let your health go when you're in your 50s, you're going to check out. And I'm not demeaning you. I'm not anything. I'm just saying, let's get on this. Fasting is a spiritual mechanism. I'll say that. But more than that, it's about you. I just don't think that God's like, oh, yes, they're not eating for me. Why would God feel happy when we're starving? So I want to believe that this is about God teaching us health and discipline. Because except for the medical guys, if you're in here, don't get mad at me if you're medical, but the medical profession, the, the organism that Americans have let develop, they want us to be slightly sick all the time. Because we're a profit margin when we're sick. So if you're a doctor, don't get mad. I got a cousin that's a doctor and he's a great man, so I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that they don't benefit when we're, when we're healthy. And so very few of them are going to tell you that fasting is actually one of the best things you can do for your body. Now, you have to do it correctly. You can easily die. But I think that, like everything else, we were talking about it yesterday, the things of God require research. Too many times we come to church and we believe that we are doing God a favor by showing up and sitting in the pew for a couple hours. And God's like, oh, thank you for coming to church. I was, oh, it's just, oh. It's like when your grown children come home and eat supper. And while you're happy they're there, you're also like, wow, there went 50 bucks. (laughs) It costs God more for us to come to church than it does us. We get the benefit of coming to church. See, I'm flipping it. Your, your ideas are flipped. So if church isn't where we do God's service, where do we do God's service? Let me go back to what I said earlier. On your street. There's a sick person on your street. And we have all these qualifications about what it's going to take for this person to fit the criteria for me to be going over there and praying for them. It's easier to get Medicaid than it is to get Christians to go pray for the sick people. You know how that paperwork is for that. 
But let's go back to Jesus. Did he, did he really ever tell anyone no? Well, the answer is yes. He did tell a few people no, but he was testing them, I think. He ended up healing them. But there was a process that only Jesus knows why he did that. I'm not going to go there. We were talking about it in private yesterday, and I can't use that language here. So one of the people that I like to talk about is Ananias, not the one that died. Well, they both died, but the one died badly. (laughs) There was a man living in Damascus whose name was Ananias, and we would have never known about him had he not been connected to Paul. Here's a good man in the time where Christians are being killed and put in jail and persecuted. Here's a man who was a follower of Christ, but he was a devout follower of the law, and he was well thought of by the Jewish community. Depending on what version you read, that's basically what it says. So how can a man be a Christian in a time where it was highly unfavorable and very not popular to be a Christian, and not only... Is he okay in his community? He's considered a devout man. He's considered a good man by the very people who hate the Christians. That's what we need to figure out. Coming to church and waiting for the pastor to give you your doctrine and your teaching and your salvation, basically, that's, that's worse than eating McDonald's. I mean... Some things at McDonald's really taste good, but we're, again, we're back to feeding the doctors. I'll get you mad before it's over. He was well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus, Ananias. <clears throat> the only time we even know about this man is the One day, he encountered Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. Jesus was trying to reach out to Saul. He had already appeared to him, but he kind of came on strong, and the man ended up blind, and Jesus was like, "Mm." All of us are like, I just want to see Jesus. Are you sure about that? Are you willing to risk your sight? That's how I read the Bible anyway. I used to read it like most normal Christians, and then I started reading it one day, and God asked me. I feel like I didn't hear a voice, but it, was, it hit me right here. That's how God speaks to me normally, right here. That's the only way I know how to ex- explain it, because he skips my head. He puts something in here, and once it's in here, your head can't ignore it. And God asked me to read the Bible, but without all the filters of my forefathers because apparently I'm like ninth generation minister of the gospel and so you have nine generations of layers of this is how it is 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 and many things are good but God's like let's just break through all that I want you to read the book again and when you do that you're like whoa for real it's it I don't like that and God's okay with that the Bible's not some holy relic that, that we're not in negotiation with. Did you hear me? Yeah. I mean, Jesus even mentioned it. King David went and ate the special bread that only the priests were supposed to eat. 
And Jesus mentioned that as something cool that David did because he was in, he was in fellowship and relationship with God. He, he broke the rules, but it was because him and God had a deal going. Ananias is one of my heroes that we're going to talk about. Amos is the other one. Amos. Yeah, we all know Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, but Amos, they call him a minor prophet. I wonder how that's going in heaven with him every time we say that. He's like, really, guys? For real? I made the book. But during that time, I can only imagine during that time in Israel, it was a time of, it, it was a time of a lot of religion, but not a lot of God. Kind of reminds me of us. There's a lot of religion in America. There's a lot of churchy. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of... We come up in the news. The TV talk show hosts make fun of us because of the stupidities that we do. I'll be honest. I listen to them. And I'm like, is it really? Is that? But when you really meditate it, don't just take a, they're just devils and they're just speaking hate, hate and all that. I'm like, but listen to what they're saying. And a lot of times what, they have a point. That we've made some major blunders in how we treat people. In, in Amos' day, the prophets were, in, in the New Living Translation, he said himself, I am not a professionally trained prophet. That's the New Living Translation. He said, I was a man that was a shepherd and he had sycamore trees or fig trees. They're different, some kind of trees he had, an orchard. He tended to his trees and he tended to his sheep and he was out there working. And the Lord appeared to him and said, go tell my word to the country. Because they told him, go back home, prophet. And he's like, first of all, not a prophet. (laughs) But since we're having a conversation, let me tell you what God says. He wasn't bound by the rules of being a prophet because he wasn't a prophet. I love that. Don't don't bind yourself to some title that someone might have given to you. Oh, brother, I see that you're an apostle to the nations. How about being an apostle to Birch Street? Or don't be an apostle. Because I've been studying the five big ones, so to speak. I don't know. People call me several things. I know what I'm not good at. I'm not good at evangelist. What? You're David Hogan's son. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm good at being an evangelist. Just about all my friends win more people to Jesus than I do. So I'll just X that one. Nah. Now, I know Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You got to do that. That's cool. You do that. You try to win people and all that. You just got to recognize when you're not that good at something. It'd be okay with that. Own it. Own who you are and own who you're not. It's okay. It's totally okay. 
If there's anything, that's what I want, kind of one of the things I want you to know is you, you can be you, but be the you that God wants. Don't be the you that you want because that, that ain't working. We don't like you. We love you. We'll help you, but we don't. The you that's the you that you like, we don't all like. The you that's trying to become more like Jesus and becoming loving and kind, that you we like. And that ain't about people pleasing. It's just, man, sometimes we get hard to get along with. When we do what we want, when we just express, this is just who I am. That, that dude needs to go. Paul said it this way, in, in the King James it says, Mortify therefore these things. And most people read the King James and they're like, yeah, cool, mortify it. But we don't know what mortify means anymore because that's an older term. And so when you read it in the Spanish, it says, Haced morir. And that means make dead. That's a lot stronger than mortify therefore your anger. Yeah, I'm going to mortify my anger. I don't mortify my anger. Make dead your anger. Kill your anger. When something's dead, it no longer has life. It no longer has power. It has no control over you. It has nothing to do with you anymore. You bury it. Kill anger. Division, strife, jealousies. All these things that are really wrecking our relationships. We can, we can deal with them. So, two guys. Amos, he was doing something, and when the people asked him, what up, dude? Quit being a prophet. He goes, I'm not a prophet. I'm here because God sent me here. And as soon as I'm done telling you, I'm going to go back to my sheep. He wasn't even really happy to be there. Jonah, he's a famous one. He wasn't happy to be there. Sometimes when God asks you to do something, you're like, mm, really? Mm. Mm. Mm-mm. Lord, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And you're looking at him, and he's like, mm-mm. He's got more time than you do. That's how it worked with Moses. Moses knew that he was called to be the savior of his people. He knew there was something special about him. So he tried to jumpstart it without God's permission, killed somebody. That's not the best way to go about saving people. Okay, we, we kill anger. We do not kill people. And so God's like, all right, I'll wait. Moses is like, okay, I'm running now. What's... God was silent. Forty years. And then he shows up one day. Moses is like, why is that bush on fire for one? And for two, why isn't it like going away? And when he made the decision to go see, then God began to speak to him. Don't wait 40 years. You don't have to. So these two men, I see them as like basically, like what you were saying yesterday, the unknowns. Many times we're not, well, we're not okay with being the unknown. So when we do go pray for the lady down the street, on our street, we're like, I'm going to do this for Jesus. 
we got the selfie mode going, like, okay, now I'm going to go pray for the cancer victim. Yeah. Me and Jesus. And my 492 friends. Yeah. Facebook Live. Hashtag me being a hero. Okay, put your phone back. Go pray for the person. Jesus said it like this. When you have to do it like that, you kind of are already getting your reward. When you face, whatever you put on Facebook, you lose in heaven. Just go with that currency. A one-to-one currency. When I put it on Facebook, I no longer get credit in heaven. Now, unless you have stock in Facebook, calm it down a little bit. Just... Matthew chapter 6, please. Let's just get to something that doesn't make you... Oh, yeah, it will make you mad, too. <clears throat> I'm not coming here to make you mad, and hopefully you don't get angry at me, but I do like to... Let's, let's pull back... Let's pull back the coverings, and let's get down to where we can actually help. The trappings, the... The culture of church. And now while I don't like it when people are constantly whining, I less like when I ask people how they're doing and they always say they're doing great. Because that's, that's really close to lying. Because unless you're like, you know, heavenly being or something, you've got problems. I don't always mean you personally have problems, but people are affecting you. Life's not going as, as great as you, you wanted it to. When we come to church, it's like we're expected now because I'm a believer in Christ that everything's supposed to go wonderful. I fully expect it not to. This isn't doubt. This is experience. I've been around a lot of people. And, and it's difficult to walk the walk of faith. It's difficult. And it's okay if it's difficult. Like I said, I don't want to hear you whining, but at the same time, you ain't got to put up a front and be like, no, my life's great. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord. We need to learn how to be honest with one another. You need to find a couple, two or three people in your, in your church group. You don't got to announce it every Sunday. Oh, it's a rough week. But find you two or three people that you can be accountable to and just let them know this is what's going on in my life. You find someone that's trustworthy to you that is not going to spill the beans and, and wreck your image and, and all that. That is a real deal, and some people do that. You trust the wrong person, and you share with them some problem you're going through, some personal issue. i got anger issues, and now the whole church knows that you're a hothead. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that you can genuinely count on, and they'll be praying for you. And you be accountable. You be a person that's trustworthy. You be someone. We've got to help one another. Because you're here in Orange County. You're the people that God has in Orange County. I'm a, I'm a guest. I'm here for a couple of days and I leave. And I, we have a good time. You have beautiful weather this time. I had a good time running yesterday. A little sore. But then I'm gone tomorrow. 
headed toward Oregon. But you're still going to be here. And you need to be available to your immediate church community. First of all, Paul taught that. Be available to the church community. Help the church community out. But extend beyond that. Let your faith grow. Let your, like he was saying earlier, don't let it be like you're stuck at 10%. The 10% rule was the absolute bare minimum. If you read the Jewish history of how they interacted with the church and the priests and the Levites and the poor, it ended up being 30 to 50% of their income. Now we may start talking gross or net because that gets to be a lot now. 50%. I'll make a comparison for you. I didn't look up the numbers. I don't know what the average income here in Orange County is. Maybe one of you know. Anybody? Average income? Let's just say a lot. You may not make a lot, but I was just in a country about a week and a half ago, Sierra Leone, West Africa. If they can find work, just your normal work, they make $2 a day. Eight hours of work, they get two bucks. I won't make a phone call for two bucks. These guys are working, like, with shovels for two bucks for a whole day. It's the ninth poorest country in the world, currently. According to the algorithms, they got worked out now. And here is one of the richer parts of the world. And, and we're worried about, I can't afford to give 50% of my money. 50% of your money could feed like 30 families in Sierra Leone. And, and besides that, Jesus didn't ask for 10%. That was old law. Jesus said to a couple people, thankfully not all, go sell all that you have. And he didn't even ask for it. That would be like a modern day American pastor. Go sell your business and bring the money to this church and God will bless you fivefold. Run. Don't. Don't. Don't fall for that. That's a scam. Jesus said, go sell what you got and go find some poor people. You know, you know, you know the poor people in your community and give it to them. And then come, let's, let's go do Jesus stuff. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't ask me that yet because that would be hard for me to do. We down and we look at that, yeah, what's wrong with that rich young ruler guy? He always gets the negative. Pastors talk about the negative, and I'm like, oh, well, you try that, buddy. I work in Mexico, and I tell our people that. I read this story, and I'm like, all right, now let's put it in perspective. You, a lot of these guys own a little bit of land. They'll own a couple, two, three, four acres, five acres. They're farmers, a lot of them, and they farm, and that's a lot of them are sustenance farmers. Some of them, 
they're doing a little better, but I'm like, you go sell your land that was inherited to you by your grandfather and give it to some other poor person and then you dedicate yourself full-time to Jesus. And they're like, no. So it really don't have to do with the guy being rich. Now him, he was rich, he had a lot, but even if you're poor, the answer's still going to be no. And Jesus is still going to be sad. Because no matter how much little, how much or little that we have, we don't want to give all of it. So we're stuck on the old 10% rule. But that's not even true, because statistically speaking, in America, 10% of people give 10%. of us give 10%. So that's like 1% of the money in a group of church people. And then most of that in a normal church is overhead and air conditioning and all that. So how much is reaching the community? Nothing. So Matthew 6, I'm reading out of the New Living, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth. You already took up the offering. He said y'all was going to give us some offering. That's cool. Thank you very much. But that's not why I'm talking about this, because we're already past that point. So now it's safe for me to talk about it. Don't stir up your treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. And that's where Jesus started that little teaching, and he went deeper than that from there. In the, in the Passion Translation, that verse says, your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. That explains it to me a little clearer. I know people fight over whether you should read the Passion Translation or not. It's not even the whole Bible yet. They did just get Isaiah, though. Whatever your opinion on that, you read whichever one you want to read, it's fine. But your heart is going to pursue what your brain values. I've been reading and rereading and rereading Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And, And we try to make love happen. We try to generate peace. We try to... To, to push joy. But that's not how fruit works. Trees don't struggle to create fruit. When you plant an orange tree, we have an orange grove on our ranch in Mexico. You plant the tree in the ground. As long as you take care of the tree, fruit happens. It's a natural byproduct of a healthy tree. So if in your life you, you do some introspect, retrospect, which word is it? Introspect, look inside of yourself, not in a selfish way, evaluate yourself, look at yourself and be honest and see if you can detect love. Ask your family and you're treading on thin ice sometimes because they're going to be honest with you. You can't go getting angry and blow up at them when you ask the question. 
If you ask your wife, do you feel like I love you? Be prepared, because she might say, mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't go into blaming her now, because you don't know how to love. Ask your children. Now, your wife might be like, yeah, 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 you love me. But your kids are not going to lie. <laughs> kids are brutal. Especially little ones. The older they get, the more they realize that you kind of got to lie to not make dad mad. But little kids are just going to blurt it out. <laughs> Ask your church family. Put yourself out there. Make yourself vulnerable. Because if you are generally, genuinely not producing very much love... Don't blame everyone else. Go back and say, what, what, God, how? What's going on? What's wrong with my heart? And in Galatians, it's like he said, we're the, we're, when you're walking in the Spirit, this is the result of that. And so if you're not getting the results, it's probably that you're not devoting enough time to the Spirit. You're not taking the Spirit in. And so your, your heart is going to have or place value wherever you have set as your treasure point. And most of the time, people have this current life situation as where the most value is. We don't put enough value on the kingdom of God. Let me go back to the more official translation. It says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. It is completely possible for you to be going to church every week. You can be making prayers happen every morning. You can be reading the word of God and be filled with darkness. And that's why I say, look inside. Because if you look inside and you can't see much light, we need to work on our eyes. The eyes, one of the famous writers or poets said, they're the window to the soul. When the window, when the shutters are down, it's dark. When the windows are open and it's sunny outside, you don't even have to turn on the light inside the house. The house is lit because of the windows. Jesus was explaining some natural phenomenon and putting it in a spiritual perspective. If you're, if you're exhibiting darkness, if you're showing darkness, if that's the fruit you're carrying is anger, lust, all these things. It's also in Galatians chapter 5. Then something's wrong with the eyes. And so that's our perspective. That's our bias. That's our... That's the way we view life. And if the way you view life is in a dark mode, then we're not going to be able to produce love and joy and peace and kindness and all these things. It's just not going to happen. Because you can't produce love without the Spirit of God. But when you, when you allow the Spirit of God in 
and you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, really genuinely, when he comes in, he begins to clean house and we feel like he's taking from us. But he don't take, he trades. There's many passages where it says things like, he gave me beauty for ashes. He gave me a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We feel like we're giving up and we're, he's taking from me, he's taking from me, but that's not true. He's trading, he's upgrading you. If you're driving a 15-year-old Honda Civic, which is, I'm sure it's a wonderful vehicle if you have one, I'm not knocking it. But someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got a 2016 BMW, I want to trade you straight up. How long is that going to take you to decide? Hmm, you know, I really like my Civic. <laughs> and then they up it. They're like, fine, we'll go to the lot and I'll get you a new one, but I want your Civic. You know, before he ends the sentence, I'm going to be like, let's go. <clears throat> what are we waiting for? We'll go open the dealership on a Sunday afternoon. This deal's going down. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I want your spirit of heaviness, and I want to give you a garment of praise. And we're like, mm, I don't know if I can trust you, God. And Jesus is like, you're like being depressed. And you're like, well, it's just kind of what I know. It's kind of what I'm used to now. I'm kind of just the depressed person. And he's like, yeah, but new creature, all that stuff. We're, we're friends now. <laughs> Benefits of salvation. Garment of praise. And he's like, and I'll trade you your lust for love. And we're like, yeah, but. I tried love once and I was hurt. And Jesus is like, yeah, but did you not see what lust is doing to you? It's wrecking you. Let's trade Basically, he's getting the bad end of that deal because when he grabs all your lust, then he's like, well, this is trash, and he throws it away. But he gave you something precious. So he's not taking. He's trading. He's upgrading. He's making us fit for the kingdom of God. Because it says that those who walk in, in the things of the flesh, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that God's casting us out like some people used to teach. It's that we, we're, we're never in. And he's trying to make us able to go in. And the more we trade with him, the more fit and the more the kingdom of God begins to live in us now. I have a goal, actually. A genuine goal, a life plan. I want, when I meet someone who doesn't know me, I want them to go home after the encounter. We eat lunch together. We meet at the whatever. We just meet. I want them to go home and tell their family, you know, I met this dude today. He said his name was 
Jody, but I think it was Jesus. I've had a brief encounter with that. I had a family come and stay with us in Mexico, and they sent us a letter afterward, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm reading the letter. Thank you, and all this cool stuff. And they said that they, they felt like they spent a week with Jesus. And I'm not saying that out of a prideful, conceited thing. It genuinely, it, it, it humbled me. Because I didn't, I've never, that's like the best compliment ever. For someone to say, it's like I was hanging out with Jesus. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I want that to become the testimony. And that's who we all need to become like. He made an example, and that's why he's saying the eye is the lamp. The eye, what, you know, and there's all kind of spiritual significance to the eyes and all that. But we need to be filled with light. Our natural state is darkness because we fell a long time ago. We chose darkness over the light. And now Jesus has given us the opportunity to be filled with light again. And it is a process. It is a process. And I hate it that most of the church has been deceived into thinking when you said the sinner's prayer that you got, boom, you're 100%, everything's cool, you're just, you're almost like an angel. No, you're not. Because we get to deal with you all the time. Not quite angel level yet. Like I said, we love you, but don't be, don't be deceived. You're not to the angel status yet. We're not filled completely with light yet. We have the beginnings of it. We have, we have salvation. We have a little bit of freedom. We have a little bit of, a lot of forgiveness, thankfully, a lot of mercy and grace, but not a lot of character sometimes and not a lot of, the light hasn't taken over yet. And we, that's the, the process. That's life. That's Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The world over, in America specifically, we're slaves to money. We've placed ourselves in such debt that we're now obligated to work for the slave masters, whatever their name be. We have enslaved ourselves to money. We have given our freedoms away for comfort. Now, I'm not saying that it's cool to live in poverty. It's, it's really not. In Sierra Leone, where we were at, the church base there, they had a stand. It was uh, like a three-story building, and where the, the sleeping quarters is upstairs, and then the church, and then they have like a training center on the, on the ground floor. And so you're up a little bit, you come out, and you're like praying in the morning, but you're looking all around outside the property of the church is this tin village, like roofing tin. The roofs, the walls, the doors, everything of these little rooms and it's just like one roof is blended into another roof and like all around 
is these people, these families, and they're washing their clothes and cooking their food like out on the little alley, and the cars are like having to go around the pots and the chickens, and and the 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 wastewater is just a little ditch dug by, with a shovel to to get it out. So no poverty isn't wonderful, but we're taught and we're conditioned and we're just like blasted with you got to have the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And so we do what it takes to get the best of the best of the best. And it ends up we're $212,000 in debt. And then the market, the job market isn't that great. So you're not going to make $212,000 more than now my new living expenses with this new car and insurances and all that you're like, you know, just to be alive. If you calculate it, my wife and I did... It was the end of the year. We did our taxes and all that. And we realized that just by being alive and being a family of three now, our son is married. So it's my wife and myself and our daughter. Just to be like citizens of earth. (laughs) Just because we're here standing on the dirt that we stand on. For us, the vehicles and the insurances and all that and the things that you have to pay every year before you ever buy the first bag of apples. It's like $10,000. So January 1st, until I get to $10,000, I can't even really buy apples. And you, if you sit down, your life is going to be similar to that. You got your life insurance, you got your mortgage, you got your car payment. You, you're probably going to be twenty, thirty thousand dollars before you ever went out to eat. Before your first Starbucks coffee, you're looking at thirty to forty thousand bucks. Jesus said, "You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money." <coughs> In Galatians, it says that the spirit has desires for you and the flesh has desires for you. And there's a war and there's a conflict. And the ones who give in more to the flesh, these things will come out in their life. And the ones who are giving more to the spirit, these things will be come out. And it's, there's no change in that math. There's, you can't fake love. You can't fake joy. You can put a smile on your face when you come to church, but if we really get to know you, we know that you're depressed all the time. We know that you're stressed. We know that you're this or that, whatever the issue is with you. And so my point is we need to start giving ourselves more towards the Spirit. And, and look, you do the research. Prayer is research. I've noticed that most of the time people, we sing, we dance, we pray, we talk, 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 talk. But we don't do much listening. And sometimes you just need to get in a quiet place, turn the music down some, just enough to make it to where you can't hear the cars on the street. And just sit there and think and listen for God to help you. Because he's, I believe he's always talking. I believe that we're not always listening. And many times we're like, God, I need help. God, I need this. God, I need that. And I need you to speak to me. And he's like, 
I, I've never stopped speaking. Why don't you be quiet for just, just a second? Just a second. Because you notice that when you go on like a retreat or something, like you're talking about going on a retreat or whatever the names of them are nowadays, you're, you're not now in your job setting. You're not now in your, your home setting. You're not worried about mowing the lawn. You're not worried about paying the bills. You're just, this weekend is for Jesus. And Jesus speaks to you. And you're like, I can't wait to get back to the next retreat. And Jesus is like, why? I can talk on Monday. I'm available. We come to church and we're so refreshed. And we're like, oh, I've got a case of the Mondays. And Jesus is like, why? Let's, let's do it. I'll go with you to work. I want to go with you to work. Like, Jesus, they don't really like you here because it's kind of a, hmm. It's a religious intolerant place. And he's like, I'm not religious. <laughs> Jesus isn't religious. We get religious. And then he's like, mm, not, not the plan, guys. Come on. Mm. Okay, let's start over. Let's have a communication. Let's talk. And you're like, no, I got this figured out, Lord. I go to Sunday, I go to Sunday service. I go to Tuesday prayer. I go, I go to the transformation weekend. And he's like, I can't even with you. I can't. When you're ready, I'm right here. Otherwise, I'm going to be over here working with this guy because you're not listening right now. I can totally see Jesus doing that. I'm here for you. When you need me, just call my name. I'm right there. But right now, it's in here. I've been reading all these verses. Like I said, take off all the goggles. Jesus said, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. We absolutely fail at that verse. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, that is all we worry about. That is all we care about. And he's like, hmm. Really, that's like first grade stuff, guys. Don't worry about food and drink. I can't. Okay, I'll keep helping you. Isn't your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? That's a good question. His answer is probably no. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, they don't make clothes. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So let's just go with the math again. If what dominates your thoughts, if what's permeating your, your daily grind, your daily living, if your thoughts are, I my bills, i got to pay for my food and my clothes and my this and my that, we're acting and behaving like unbelievers. 
It's just like a simple test. Like I said, think about your thoughts. Review your life. Take a day a week and just spend an hour before the Lord and just review in review. How did I do this week? What dominated my thoughts this week? Where was my thought patterns? What direction was I aiming this week? What, were, what was going on up in my head? What's going on in my heart? Because I deal with, like I said, we were just in Sierra Leone. They're making two bucks a day. And then I come to Orange County, which is a well-known place in the world that it's great. And you're like, well, you don't live here. You don't know how not great it is. I'm pretty sure you don't live in an eight by eight, ten shack. And I'm not demeaning you for, for living in a nice place with an air conditioner. It's okay. It's, it's totally fine. But don't complain about it. You don't have the right to complain. Not living here. Unless you're actually out on the street and you cannot have work and you're just like, I don't want to hear it. That is one thing you don't get to complain about. There's probably more or I'll find it and then we'll have that conversation later. (laughs) But let's don't be unbelievers. Let's find out what it looks like to God. What does the mind of an unbeliever look like? And let's don't be that. And then let's research more. Let's keep studying the scriptures and get in prayer. Prayer, like I said, is not just talking. It's not just all about praise and thanks. That is a big part of it. It's wonderful. It's not just speaking in tongues. Also wonderful. Because when you speak in tongues, it says the spirit then begins to intercede on your behalf, which I think is totally cool. And another part where it says Jesus Christ will intercede on our behalf. So we have two parts of God interceding for us. It's almost like when we get into prayer, we can't fail. But when I'm not actually in prayer, what's dominating my mind? Because if it's the stress, if it's my job, if it's my kids, if it's this, we're beginning to think like unbelievers. And the unbeliever cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So if... If your goal is to get into the kingdom of God and inherit a piece of it, which I don't just want to get there and be like living on the streets. That's cooler than living on the streets here, but still not the plan. You certainly don't want to get there and Jesus be like, do I know you? The way people preach nowadays, it's almost like, I don't have to do anything, and God's already like, we're already cool and everything. But Jesus Christ said that there's going to be some that say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to be like, ah, I, don't, I don't recognize you. That's where prayer is very convenient, because you're talking you to God. Especially when it's in a private setting, when you're in your house and you're in your room and it's like you're getting ready for work and you just take a few minutes and say, God, I give this day to you. And he hears your voice and it's not mingled with the crowd at church, which is also a wonderful thing. He sees us. He's like, oh, you're with my people. Oh, yeah, cool. Y'all having a celebration for me. That's awesome. He loves that. But he also wants to get to know you a little better. So when you're in that quiet place, the coffee's brewing. It'll be done in a minute. It's very important. 
for those of you who don't drink it, I really feel for you right here. <laughs> My dad is one of those souls. He doesn't drink it. And I'm like, Dad, how can you? <sighs> I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But when you start to have that one-on-one with Jesus, then when you pass to the next place, it's not going to be him going, I don't, I don't know you. He's going to be, Andrew, long time, man. Look, I've been waiting for you to come. I got you a place already. You thought I forgot about you a couple of times. I've been just, we've been working up here, getting your house ready. Just check it out, see if you like it. I had a thought one day. I have weird thoughts. My wife can attest to that. We wake up in the morning. I have a question. And I'm like, hey, have you thought about this? She's like, nah, not yet. So now I'm like, I have to wait till like 7 a.m. 8 a.m. sometimes. Depends on how deep the question is. I'll ask it, kind of a preview to the question. And she's like, no, nah, that's like 8 o'clock. Right? It's just my brain never stops even when I'm asleep. So when I wake up, it's like, Whoa. I don't have like ADHD or something like that or OCD or none of those, I don't think. Maybe I have all of them. But I'm generally really calm, but my brain just goes. So I'm always asking God stuff, and he don't talk much about those things. I forgot which question I had now. But anyway, I have lots of questions, and I'm talking to God, and he's like. But I think it's like, I hear you. I think he gives us these questions so that we'll talk to him. We're like, hey, God, what about this? And we begin a relationship. Kids have questions. That's what I like about kids. They have questions. So I'm like a kid, and God's like, wow. How many more you got today? So that when you get there, I remember what it was now. I woke up one morning and I thought, God made the earth in seven days. Six if you count the, if you don't count the off day. And I know people debate that. It might have been millions of years. I don't really care. Six days. And then Jesus said, don't stress about it. I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And 2,000 years later... This place is really cool that he did threw together in a week. Imagine the place we're going now that it took him 2,000 years to put together. So I'm like, it's worth it. The earth is great. Like, I have no desire to leave here. This is like when God's like, here, I want you to stay here for a while. Okay. A lot of people tell me, I just can't wait to die, and I'm going to go to that place. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too, but I'll be there for so long. Like, let's just hang out. (laughs) Jesus is here, too. If there's a problem on earth, we did it. Oh, dude, society's all messed up. We'll fix it. We're the sons of God. We have the capacity and the right So that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here in Matthew 6. Don't be thinking like, 
hopeless unbelievers. And they're not like, that's not like that they're so bad. It's just they, they're not thinking right. And we're not supposed to think like that. So don't be stressing about food and clothes and drink. And, and I'm like, Lord, that's all I need is something to wear and food. Like Paul said that. He's like, if you got clothes on and you just ate, be content. And then Jesus was like, no, 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 don't even worry about that. Okay. <laughs> but it says your heavenly father already knows your needs. So when we bring it up to him, it can be like, a, hey, Lord, I just wanted to remind you. I've been doing my best. and I've been giving to the kingdom. I got a big bill that just came up. Can I have some help? He's cool with all that. He's just not cool with the stress factor going way out the roof. He's not cool with us like freaking out about that kind of thing. Your father knows. And, and I believe it's time for the church to step into the supernatural. How many times did Jesus freak out when they ran out of food? The disciples come to him, Lord, we got to send the crowd away. They're hungry. He's like, let's feed them. And they're like, with what? What you got? Well, that one kid has a lunch over there. We can steal that. <laughs> a few pieces of bread, a couple fried fish. He's like, bring it on. And the kid's like, really? It's not in the scriptures, but that's what I would have said as a 12-year-old. <laughs> but when Jesus was done, they had 12 baskets left over. So the kids got his little lunch, and when he goes home that day, the disciples had to help him get the food back. Because Jesus traded him one lunch for 12 baskets of lunches. It's a cool trade. Like I said, Jesus is always going to give you the better deal. Take it. Take the deal. Take the deal. The storm came. He's like, just stop. The storm stopped. It's like he never stressed about these things. And he got mad at the disciples that they were stressing. So I can only imagine how many times he's gotten like kind of upset at me. Because I'm like, Lord, you got to do something. He's like, I do? Aren't you a son? Aren't you been talking to Father too? Me and you friends? Don't you have the Holy Spirit? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, fix it. We're not babies anymore. If you've had any time in Christ and you're growing and you're maturing, you're not a baby anymore. Let me put it this way. A little bit graphic, but just bear with me. I know we don't talk about this stuff in California. But when a child is born, you really don't mind changing diapers. I mean, it's not the best job. And actually, I pawned it off on my wife most of the time, if I'm going to be totally honest. We had children. That was kind of like her role, thankfully. But my son's 21 now. I ain't doing it. Okay? The soonest possible moment that we could teach bathroom procedures, we did. I don't think he made the three years old. We're done with that, us cleaning things. Like, there you go. There's the, this is where we do our business. There's where we wash our hands. There's the trash. 
You got it. God does that too. When you've been saved for about 15 years and you make a mess, oops, Lord. And he's like, clean it up. And we're like, hey, wait, you're supposed to do this. He's like, we're past that. We're past that. And and after that, he goes, don't you pop the pacifier out? Throw it away. 15 is long enough. Put yourself to sleep. It's okay. <laughs> Not going to hold your hand tonight. And we feel like sometimes that maybe God's backing away or abandoning us. No, he's allowing us to grow up. He has put his spirit within us. So still totally him, but he wants us to be mature. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He goes, food, clothes, like, really? We can't? That's what we're going to stress about, guys? Then he explains it to us, what needs to dominate our thoughts. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. It doesn't mean you don't have to go to work. It means don't be a slave. It means live correctly, live righteously. You live based on how much money you make, spend less than what you make. And I know that we're not in a financial weekend or whatever, but we need to learn. The debt is not our friend. And if that means you need to sell the house you have, it's my dream home. Okay, cut the dream back a little bit. Like I said, you're not the apostle to the world, you're apostle to Birch Street. Okay? It's like 12 houses, that's all you got to cover. There's a reason you live on that street. If you're in where God wants you to be, he puts you there to be an influence in that part of the community. A lot of people come up to me and say, my job, where, am I, where I work, it's just a dark place. I'm like, that's why you're there. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's just not comfortable. I'm like, it ain't about your comfort. It's about you spreading light in a dark place. <laughs> Jesus said, seek first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. In another version it says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. We're chasing it. We're chasing righteousness. We're chasing the kingdom of God. We're trying to figure out what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not a prepackaged deal. It's not a formula. It's not something that you see someone else did and I get to do that same thing without talking to God. It's not like a cookie cutter. It's just stamping us out. Just... We're not a production line. We're unique in the sense of that God has us a, he does have a plan for each one of us. And if we begin to step into his plan, you'll see that the church begins to just gel. And we, it, it, it's like choreographed really beautifully if we'll let the Holy Spirit do it. There won't be no bumping into each other. We'll, we'll just flow in and out of what each other's doings. And it begins to interlace to where the enemy really doesn't have a place in your, in your church community. There's not going to be any holes in the shield. The enemy will try to come in and he'll be like, he'll feel very unwelcome. But then the lost souls will feel welcome. They'll be drawn here because it is a safe place. And I know people talk about that a lot. I don't mean a place where there's no standards or morals. I mean a place where people come and they feel peace. 
Because when you chase after righteousness, you'll find along the way peace, joy, love, gentleness, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit begin to pop up in your journey after the kingdom of God. It happens. You don't have to generate it. Your life begins to be more like Jesus. It actually says to put on Christ as a garment. Wake up in the morning, get yourself all ready, and then say, Jesus, come on all over me. Way better than the Iron Man suit. Way better. Because if you clothe yourself with Christ, he is sustaining you and he's protecting you and he begins to guide you because when, you're, when he's all around you, he, when he moves, you're like, hey, cool, I'll move with Jesus. That's why you begin to look like Jesus because you're like, that's, that's a Jesus move. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn that move? Well, I've been spending a lot of time with him lately. He's influencing me. And it'll show. And people will begin to tell you. My daughter brought us up to my wife and I one day. She brought a point, And I was like kind of stressing at first how she said it. She says, I don't tell people that I'm a Christian. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was worried because I'm like, well, are you? I mean, <laughs> But she said, and this is why. She explained it. She had thought about it. She said, after you spend a couple weeks with me, if you can't tell that I'm a Christian, I failed you. And I was like, wow. From a, from a young adult, old child level. She's 17, so don't tell her I said that she wasn't an adult yet. <laughs> Above all, constantly chased after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Mm-hmm. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. But deal with each challenge that comes to your way one day at a time. Today's challenges are going to be enough. You don't have to heap on your misery by thinking about tomorrow as well. But tomorrow morning, wake up a little bit earlier and spend that just that just a little bit of quality time with Jesus. And you'll see that as you begin to do that daily on a daily basis, you begin to just, just share a moment with Christ. Just share that moment. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give, us today, give me today the grace and the sustenance that I need to make it through today. And tomorrow we'll talk again. And then throughout the day, you're drawing from that strength that you receive from him. Again, like I said, it's a trade-off. I give him my stress and worry. He gives me peace and strength. And every morning do that. Wake up in the morning. Thank you, God, for good rest. At night, if you're, if, you're, if you're prone to bad dreams and to the fears of the night, which some people are, it's a, it's a, it is a real thing. Don't act like, well, I'm just the weakling, I'm just the whatever. No, trade it. Say, God, I give you tonight any bad things, that would, any fears that would want to come upon me in the night, you can just deflect them. You take them. And whatever you got in return, I receive it. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. He's there for you. When you have something coming up, when you have a deadline or a surgery or something like that coming up, just be handing it to him because that stress wears you down. Because you know it's coming. They tell you, be here this day. And you're like, oh, your test will be back in four days. And you don't know if you've got some horrible thing or not. 
And you're just like, ooh, just hand it to him. Hand it to him. Every time it comes to you, just imagine that's the devil trying to hand you this thing. And you're like, no, actually, uh, Jesus is going to, yeah, Lord. He's like, do you see this devil here? You want to? And he's like, yeah, I'll take that for you. And the devil's like, because mm. he wants us to take it. He wants us to, to, to own that. He wants us to own that fear. He wants us to own that regret. He wants us to own that failure. And we're like, Lord, do you understand what I'm saying? Even your sickness. Like I want to, if, if in a moment here, because we're almost to four o'clock. If, if you have something you need prayer, we'll agree with you in prayer. Totally. But more than expecting some special person to come touch me in the head and it's going to all be better, we need to learn how to live with Christ. And, and that's what it means by seeking the kingdom. That doesn't mean that he's asking us all to go in full-time ministry. That's not what it means. Because this reference was for everyone. Seeking the kingdom of God means putting God's stuff first. And he, is, he cares about you and your job and your home and your family and all that. He's cool with all that. He just wants his stuff to be primary because it's really what's lasting. Because this life, if you think about it, we get 80 years, 90 years. Some people make it to 100. I have a grandmother that, was, that is 92. My wife had a grandfather. He just passed away. He was 94. So, you know, we might make it up into our 90s. Maybe we can pass them up, make it to 100. The scientists are making advances. They're saying in the next that people in our generation now may make it to 140, 150 because the technology is advancing. But still, there's a deadline. <laughs> you have an expiration date. And, and when that happens, the next phase is an undetermined amount. We don't know much about what's after that, but we know that it's a lot longer than what we're going to have here whichever place you end up. So take care on your decisions. Let's just say you make it to the next place and you didn't really prepare and you're kind of like, okay, I see that I'm, I left most of my treasure back behind me on earth. Uh, and the Lord's like, welcome. And here. <laughs> And that's, you know, it's funny, but it's really true. I would rather get there and the Lord like, hey, we've been waiting on you. You have so much stuff, we just put it at your house because we couldn't present it to you here at the gates. too much to carry. And we're like, what do you mean? Because it's almost like the people that, that put more up there don't really realize it because they're just doing the Jesus stuff. We're not concerned about the treasure. We're concerned about getting along with Jesus and helping people and loving on people and visiting the sick and just doing all the cool stuff that Jesus does. And and then you get there and he's like, you don't know, do you? And you're like, no. He's like, you get to live in the good side of town. (laughs) And you're like, what? I didn't really do nothing special. He goes, oh, yes, you did. Because that's not our goal. And it don't mean you won't have things here. It don't mean that someone might one day walk up and give you a BMW. 
hasn't happened yet for me, but I've had a lot of blessing things. If you saw the big truck, the biggest one in the parking lot, yeah, that's mine. And it's not like I'm trying to get a big truck. It was like practically given to me. It's, it's worth a lot of money. Don't Google it. Be like, that guy don't need nothing. It was practically given to me. And so I do know that God does take care of you. And, and it's, it's in weird ways, though. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's relationships. They all just seem to work. And you're like, how's this working? Your boss all of a sudden likes you and he didn't before? And you're like, what's going on? It's because when your priorities begin to change, Jesus begins to front for you. And it's not about prosperity. I'm not teaching prosperity. I'm teaching about getting along with Jesus. And ever how it turns out, we will end up having a measure of peace. Even if it don't go like we want it to go. We can still have that peace. And, and, and the people who don't know Jesus are going to be like, how can you be so calm and all this is going on? You're like, you know, there's no way to explain it except for me to tell you I handed it to Jesus. The logic doesn't work. I just hand it to Jesus and, and I'm okay. And that's where I want us to be. Because there are a lot of stresses. And I know I, I, I said you don't get to complain because you live in Orange County, but there are stresses here that other people don't have to deal with. Now, I'm not going to say that I feel sorry for you because you have air conditioner. And I know I've said that three times. Most of the time in my life, I don't get air conditioning. And so when I get to Hampton Inn and I turn that air on really cold, I'm just so grateful. It's the little things. You're just laying on that Hampton Inn bed and it's cool. You have to put on a little blanket and you're like, thank you, God. This is a little piece of heaven. And you guys are like, oh, that's nothing. No, that is everything. Just last week I was in Sierra Leone and I was unaware of the, the temperature of the nation. I thought it was going to be temperate and it was 104 degrees like every day. And a couple of the nights we were in a place that had a little air that was struggling to make it, but it did knock the heat just a little. I slept so good. And then another place we went, they didn't have air. And I didn't sleep so good because it was hot. And then when I get back to another place that had air, I was like, oh. So when you constantly have air conditioner, just wake up in the morning and tell God, thank you for me. And I know it's been cool the last few days, but I know it gets hot here too. And then you crank that air on and you're just like, just remember my words and say, Lord, I thank you on behalf of Brother Jody. This is awesome. And that's real life. It's real life. God loves you. But he wants to spend more time with you. He wants to spend time with you. More than you want to spend time with him, really. His love is deeper than ours. And it's, when you begin to understand that, you're like, but why? You, you live in a, wow. Why would you seek us out? And he's like, don't worry about that. Just be happy that I do. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Lord, just begin to touch each heart, touch our bodies, touch our minds. 
Let us begin to understand the depth of who you are. Lord, the days of being just a normal, shallow Christian, we want to be past that, God. And whatever it looks like to go to the deep places of God, teach us the path. Show us how to get there, God. Fill us more with your spirit. Let us walk in the spirit. Let us talk through the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. If you want prayer, please come up. My wife and I would like to pray for you, pray with you. If you're feeling cool, if you're just blessed, pray with us and agree with us for the people who want prayer. Because that's what the church does. We help one another.